weeks ago, my three and four year old boys decided they wanted to go to the zoo after school. Sometimes when I pick them up, we go do these fun adventures around town and all those great places that Santa Barbara and Goleta have to offer, the train museum, Moxie, all those places. But, but they wanted to go to the zoo this day. So I picked them up from school. And as I try to, as I aspire to, I always have snacks handy. It's helpful to fuel the children, to keep them going through various activities, especially toward the end of the day. So I aspire to have snacks at all times. I even store some in my glove box. And this day, in that glove box, in addition to some of the the less perishable items, I also put in some fresh and tasty snacks. So I picked them up and I was ready to go. I got them loaded in the car and I go to open the glove box And as I'm opening the glove box, in there, a certain child who may or may not be in this room saw something he wanted. A few weeks before, we had been to to Indiana, and I had gone separately because I was here with you all. And I, I stopped at the Dallas airport and got them Pez dispensers as like a little, like, oh, wouldn't this be a fun thing for the kids? And so I get these, these Pez dispensers, and on occasion, when I, we need serious motivation, I have the little Pez candy, and they have the little Pez people, you know, the little, this little Transformer-themed Pez dispensers in their seats. And, and so that day, when I opened my glove box, my little guy saw the candy and said, I want that. <laughs> now, for a three-year-old, candy is not just an enjoyable sweet. It is a recipe for disaster. <laughs> he will eat it and be hyper-energetic for like five to ten minutes and then be on the ground crying unwilling to participate in anything for the next 20 to 30 minutes, rendering anything else we are doing as a family impossible. No more zoo. If he eats a healthy snack, we can all go to the zoo and enjoy their favorite place in the whole world. The zoo really is their favorite place. You can ask them. We go in there, we have a little routine. We go in there, we see the otters, we see the the penguins, we stop by the elephants, we slide down the grassy hill on the cardboard, uh, we feed the giraffes, and then we visit their favorite little guy, the armadillo. Has has anybody been there when the armadillo is, like, active? It is staggering how quickly this little guy runs back and forth in, in his cage, and my kids cannot get enough of the little armadillo. So, in that moment, as I'm getting the boys, and there's the petition for candy, I can see that candy is not the right decision. No Pez. I am trying to get everyone to the zoo. In this passage, Jesus is trying to get everyone to the zoo. He is talking about what it takes to get there as a family, as a collective, as children of God. 
He's describing the life that works toward our collective well-being, the life in which every single child of God is nourished, respected, healthy, and able to enjoy the goodness around us. Now, this is a complex passage. One minute, Peter is the rock, the one who can see the truth about Jesus that is hidden from all everyone else. The next minute, Jesus calls Peter Satan. (laughs) In one phrase, Jesus says that those who lose their lives will save it. In another, it says, what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life. What is he talking about? What is the deal here? I don't want to tie a bow on this and call it a day. I want us, I want us to struggle with this difficult and complex passage. I want us to wrestle with it because that is where we get our identity is in that wrestling you know that the word Israel means wrestles with God. Wrestles with God. If we are to wrestle with this passage properly, there are a few things that might be helpful. For instance, let's clarify the tension between losing your life and valuing it. What Jesus is saying is that building up your wealth, your reputation, your ego, those things that we are tempted to think of as our lives... Those things are trivial. Those things are the candy choice. The spiritual pez. If you know what's good for you, you will strive for the zoo. You will strive for justice, for the good of everyone, not just yourself. That, that striving will, not just might, but will end up and you having to give something up. You'll have to give up your comforts, give up your ideas, give up your life to, quote, take up your cross and follow Jesus. Following is Jesus' prime concern for discipleship in Mark. It's what he asks people to do. Mark is all about following. In the past couple of weeks, we've been uh, revisiting Dietrich Bonhoeffer's concept of costly grace from his work, The Cost of Discipleship, right? We've been talking about this a little bit. Bonhoeffer uses the example from Mark as his way to show the cost of following. In particular, he uses the example from Mark of the rich young man whom Jesus asked to sell everything he owns to give it to the poor and follow Jesus. So you kind of remember this, this, this teaching, right? This whole thing, this guy comes up to him, he says, I've been, I've been following, keeping the commandments. And then Mark adds this bit about Jesus looks upon him and loves him. But the, the, the command is to follow. Following... Bonhoeffer says, it's always costly because we inherently leave our former selves and take the steps that Jesus took. Steps which lead to the cross. It implies 
giving up who we have been for the sake of who we will be. That is the cost of following Jesus, of trying to get everyone to the zoo. The band Wilco has this song where they took a little bit of play on this passage and, and had the repeating line that you've got to learn how to die if you want to be alive. Stay tuned, we're going to play that uh, as our postlude. <laughs> so you'll, go, you'll get a little taste of it. But, okay, if Jesus cares about life well lived, about learning to die, to be alive, about following, about loving justice, about getting everyone to the zoo, then what is going on with this last sentence in this passage? Why is there so much shame? Did you you hear that line? I imagine you heard that, that last line. We don't like shame. But most of us have no problem shaming or shunning people that we do not like. I have no problem shunning and condemning this mockery of an EPA. I have no problem shaming the Koch brothers. No problem saying that they are not welcome at my house, at my table, at our church. I have no problem with that. Last week was Rosh Hashanah. Did everybody know that that had happened? Maybe you saw it on your Google calendar. Rosh Hashanah, the, the Jewish New Year. On Tuesday, our entire parking lots were full of cars going to Hillel. It was really fun to see to, and to engage with the folks there. They came out and were checking out our butterfly stations with, where, as Casey and I were out there. Uh, and it's it just a fun interaction. But Rosh Hashanah, is a, it's a big holiday. It's a big holiday. It's like Easter for the, the Jewish folks. And people came out of the warp work all over the country to go attend a service. They might only attend just that one that year. Amidst that, down in Santa Monica, California, at the Beth Shir Shalom Synagogue, Rabbi Neil Comas Daniels took this hugely popular day to send a message to a former member of his congregation, of his synagogue, Stephen Miller. Miller has been heavily involved in shaping Trump's hardline immigration policies, including separating children from their parents at the border, an act of power and privilege from an administration that continues to neglect the 700 families still separated from one another, 430 of which were parents deported without their children at the border, 431 parents that are in Mexico while their children are in the United States. During his sermon, the rabbi said to Miller, the actions that you now encourage President Trump to take, make it obvious to me that you didn't get my and our Jewish message. He said, separating children from parents is completely antithetical to everything I know about Judaism, Jewish law, and Jewish values. He went on to say 
that from the Jewish perspective, the parent-child relationship is sacrosanct. Disrupting it is cruel. Mr. Miller, the policy you helped to conceive and put into practice is cruel. These are words I think we all already knew, but it was powerful coming from his rabbi. Miller's own uncle, David Glosser, wrote a scathing editorial for for Politico in August, calling his nephew an immigration hypocrite. He said, I've watched with this man increasing horror as my nephew, who is an educated man and well aware of his heritage, has become the architect of immigration policies that repudiate the very foundation of our family's life in this country. At the heart of that shaming, at the heart of the cost of discipleship, is Jesus' question from this passage. Who do you say that I am? Who do we say that Jesus is? Who do we say that we are? Who do we say that God is? In the lectionary this week, the passages say, The Lord watches over the innocent. Our God is full of compassion. In Christian liberation theology, we say that God has a preferential option for the poor. God watches out for the marginalized, the oppressed, the orphans, the widows, children, and strangers. God is with those whose lives have been torn apart by Typhoon Mankut, a 500-mile-wide storm that devastated the Philippines, killing 60 people on its way to mainline China. God is with the families of the 14 people who have been killed by Hurricane Florence. This is the God who calls to us to love no matter the cost, to strive for the kingdom, to strive to get everyone to the zoo. For me... Following Jesus, taking up the cross, means both sacrificing my comfort to confront those who would hurt my sisters and brothers, while also striving to include them in the way of compassion. To get everyone to the zoo. To do that, I need to sacrifice my hatred to set down the comforts of my condemnation and isolation, to meet those people face to face and call them out as family, as children of God. As Wilco sings, it is a war on war. The war within myself needs to end. The war between me and my sisters and brothers needs to end. If I pursue that vision of interconnectedness, I will lose the life I had. 
But that is not what matters to me. What matters is getting everyone to the zoo because that is how I respond to Jesus' question, who do you say that I am? I say you are love incarnate, the blueprint for creation. Your example, your model changes us and that change is an evolution toward love, eternally teaching us a new way to be a way connected to the source of all being, a way connected to everyone and everything that is, was, or will be. Every day, Jesus asks the question, who do you say that I am? And that question is new every day because we are new. It is about that newness that poet David White writes saying, Be a new enunciation of yourself. Make yourself a door through which to be hospitable even to the stranger within you. Who do you say that I am? The stranger within. Amen.